Peterson is taking care of things right now. The Wesley Fields. Touchdown, Georgia Southern. Fast swing on the way. It's gone! It is well with my stolen Montgomery! Georgia Southern wins! All right, Georgia Southern fans, welcome to another episode of Georgia Southern Extra. I'm Travis Jadon, the beat writer for Georgia Southern Athletics at the Savannah Morning News and savannahnow.com. And we got Mike Anthony from the Statesboro Herald with us today for our 2019 Georgia Southern football season recap. Um, if you wanted to recap this whole season, we would have uh, multiple episodes to get through everything that happened with Georgia Southern. So we'll do our best to kind of uh, recap the season and also recap kind of what's going to happen next with Georgia Southern, the significance of the season. We'll give you guys our biggest plays, um, best plays, best moments, best players, uh, best quotes, stuff like that. All, all the stuff that we talked about um, in the preseason with Georgia Southern, kind of our predictions and things of that nature. Hopefully we'll have time to circle back and address some of those as well. But Mike, Thanks for joining us. It's been a long time since you've been on the podcast. I feel like uh, I'm sure the listeners miss you uh, as much as I did. How you been? It's been a hot minute. Uh, it, it was a whole it was a whole thing with the bowl week, and now we're winding down 2019. But yeah, we'll get one more in before 2020. Yeah, I think we got. Uh, there's plenty to talk about, right? Um, we, Mike, do you want to? I, I wanted to give you a shot first. We talked to Connor Delpreet last week um, from WSAV, uh, who you know, shared some of his thoughts from the Cure Bowl. Um, I shared some of my thoughts, I, you know, and I, I've written uh, about it this week. I, I think, you know, obviously you have a lot to say, I'm sure, about the game. I'll, I'll first kind of leave it open to you, your immediate thoughts from the Cure Bowl, and I guess they are no longer immediate, but your, your thoughts kind of, if you could, at the Cure Bowl, right after the Cure Bowl, and then now that we're, you know, 10 days uh, removed from the result where Liberty knocked off Georgia Southern. Uh, kind of separate those if you could and, and tell the listeners your thoughts on uh, the Cure Bowl uh, down in Orlando. Sure. Well, uh, first off, I'll have to uh, begin by telling uh, Connor you're welcome. I parked right next to you in the uh, parking lot uh, for Exploria Stadium. When I got there, your door was wide open. Your passenger door was. I shut it for you. I assumed it locked. Uh, I was still there when I got back, so once again, you're welcome. A man of the people. A man of the people, Mike Anthony is. Yeah, I try to help. I, I do what I can. What a guy. And and that really might have been the high point of my day because it went downhill <laughs> from there. Um, it wasn't a good day for Georgia Southern. They, uh, they did not do well at all in basically any facet of the game other than uh, Tyler Bass becoming the uh, single-season field goal holder or record holder for Georgia Southern kicking his what 18th, 19th and 20th field goals of the season for Georgia Southern. But all around, um, you know, you can, you can blame whoever you want. You can blame the time off. You can blame uh, a defense having more time to prepare for an option offense. You can blame uh, Georgia Southern not being as excited as a Liberty team who is in its first bowl game ever. Georgia Southern fans can relate to that. They were in that boat four years ago. Which, whichever route you want to go, it just seemed pretty evident that uh, no matter what the culprit was, Liberty was in it a little bit more than Georgia Southern was. And, you know, the Eagles, they had their chances, especially in the second half. Uh, the defense came to life, gave them some chances. The offense just wouldn't take it. 
And, you know, there's, I really don't see even, you know, a week and a half now after the fact, I, I don't see any way to come out of that game other than very frustrated with an offense for Georgia Southern that had been stagnant for a lot of the year, seemed like it was gaining some footing at the end of the year. And then the last game of the year kind of reverted back to all the worst nightmares of all the fans. And, you know, you can chalk it up to whatever, but that's something that definitely needs to be addressed over the next couple of months. And everybody's going to want to see a big change in uh, to begin with uh, starting off 2020. All right, Mike. Well, I'm going to ask you uh, what I asked Connor, and this is just me playing devil's advocate because I don't know. You know, I don't. First off, I don't know that anyone knows what the uh, fix would be, or you know, even what the problem is. We know the the result is not good enough, but I don't know that we've pinpointed yet why it is. I think everyone has their kind of thoughts on it. Um, let me ask you this: If Georgia Southern needs to fix its offense, which I think we can all agree they need to fix, you know, its ineptness. Um, how do they go about doing that while still staying in the option? It's pretty clear, I think, right to everyone that they're going to stay in the option offense for the for- foreseeable future. We can debate that at a later date, but let's assume they're staying in the option. How much different can you really get? And, and you know, I, I know that we want variety and diversity, but we were clamoring for that all year and Georgia Southern still was the eighth best rushing team in the country um, with a makeshift offensive line. You, you see what I'm getting at here? So what's the change then? What, what's, the, you know, if you don't know the right answer, I guess, what are some of the options, uh, no pun intended, for changing the offense? Yeah, I, I don't think there needs to be a ton of change in terms of what the X's and O's are. I mean, there's only so many different ways that you can, run an option offense and obviously this isn't the under center flex phone uh uh paul johnson jeff munkin offense that some georgia southern fans want to see but you know it, it is a bob the best offense it's been a, a triple option offense that has worked in the past that a lot of people still you know put a lot of stock in and obviously georgia southern still does seeing as how he's going to be coming back next year I really think that if you're going to make a change, it doesn't really need to be in the X's and O's. It doesn't need to be in, you know, the the things that Shyward sees at the line of scrimmage or what he doesn't see or what he does or doesn't check into. I think it just comes down to one word, and that's aggressiveness. You know, even with Georgia Southern's makeshift line, like you said, you know, they had to they had to deal with a lot of guys playing out of position. They had to deal with a lot of guys who. They didn't figure to be big contributors on the offensive line for another year or two, and they played with the hand they were dealt. And a lot of times it looked like a, an offensive line in flux, not quite knowing what was going on. But on the random occasion, you know, the App State game was one. The Georgia State game was one. Uh, most of the last uh, third of the season was a show of an offensive line that could do what it had to do when it had to do it. I really think that if you want to focus on one thing to bring into 2020, it's just be aggressive. Yeah, the offensive line might have been limited this year. It might be limited next year, depending on how quickly they can get all those guys back who might be coming back from injury, how quickly they can replace all the guys who are departing due to being seniors. I really just think that in this offense, what they have to be is aggressive and sure, and that's something that they spent two years building shy words into. If you remember back to his freshman year, uh, that two and ten season, 
he was obviously a gifted athletic guy who could make some plays in space, but he seemed unsure. He seemed tentative. And even in games or plays where, you know, his athleticism could have been enough to get him over the hump, he just wasn't quite as direct as he had to be. And it cost the Eagles. And I really think that that problem transitioned into the offensive line or the offense as a whole for much of 20, uh, 2019. They just, even when they had the, uh, people in place when they had the right call, they were maybe just not quite as adamant about forcing the issue as they needed to be. And when you're going to be as one-dimensional, and I don't want to call them one-dimensional, but they are. They want to be a running team. They want to force the issue. If you want to force the issue, if you want to be a top five, top three, top two, top rushing team in the country, then you really need to have that mindset of we're going to do this no matter who's in what spot. And at times this year, it just seemed like even when the right calls were made, the right mentality wasn't there. So if I'm the Eagles, that's what I've got to do, starting with the offensive line, get the right mentality in there of we are going to do this, we are going to be bullheaded, we are going to make this work no matter what. And I really think the success will come. I think the play calls are there. I think the the talent as far as the skill position players are there. I think the depth and overall talent as far as the offensive line is there. It's just a matter of getting everybody believing that if they keep doing it and if they believe in it and if they can put 100% into every play, it is going to work. And at times this year, it just seemed like the mental part of that was lacking a little bit. And that led to those plays that we all have been, you know, griping about where you went sideways, you went backwards, you were tentative and nothing seemed to work. Yeah, my, I mean, that's a good point when, what you're saying about uh, the aggressiveness. If you're going to, I'm with you on that. If you're going to be, you know, blue collar and disciplined and tough, then do that. And and in a close game uh, or, you know, relatively close game for much of much of the game in Orlando, you know, they they weren't that uh, they didn't they weren't sure on anything. It seemed like. Right, right. And so I think maybe they got you get lost a little bit in saying, man, we have all these guys. We have Darion Anderson, Colby Ransom. Where's Dexter Carter? Where's Najee Thompson? We have uh, Wesley Kennedy. Get him touches. Where's J.D. King? Let's get him touches. All these guys, and you become kind of, you know, hamstringed by it, for lack of a better word, because, you you know, you're passing it 19 times against Liberty you know, either you're getting beat terribly or something went really bad because you shouldn't have to pass it 19 times against Liberty in a game that ended up, you know, being a one possession game. That's not great. And so I'm with you on that, Mike. And it seemed like they never really got, I mean, obviously their identity is running the ball, but we touched on this early in the year, right, Mike, that they had a lot of good moments and, and a lot of glimpses of what could be, but they never ever you know really seemed to figure out who the three or four guys on offense were going to be to carry them i mean if you look at the most successful teams just stay within the sun belt cuz that's who we know the best uh you know they're not they're not running four five six seven guys out there that are scoring three or four touchdowns uh on the season they're top heavy Right. If you look at Louisiana, you, you can name their trio of backs and their quarterback. Uh, when you look at Arkansas State, you know their receivers and their quarterback. Georgia Southern, it just seems like there's so many 
you know, qual they're quality players. I think, you know, I think that I guess, you know, other people could disagree, but there's a lot of guys and it seems like nobody is really getting, I guess, you know, no one is really becoming the focal point. No one became the focal point during the 2019 season. Uh, Michael, I'll, I'll touch on this one thing. Uh, I want you to kind of hit on this and then we'll move on from the Cure Bowl and start recapping this season. Um, what do you think of Shy Wirtz and kind of, I know you just talked about Shy, but there, you know, a lot of people want to see Justin Tomlin uh, in spots next year because of, you know, how well he played when he had to play this year. Um, do you think that any sort of quarterback tandem, I'm not going to ask you to guess, but do you think that any sort of quarterback tandem, even if it's 80 20 uh, percentage wise next year, would that affect where it's negatively, you think? Um, <clears throat> I would say that it's a, it's a little bit tough with that situation. When you look back, uh, you know, when, when people bring up that possibility of a dual quarterback system, they're thinking of Kevin Ellison and Fabian Upshaw, which, you know, to Georgia Southern's credit, everybody makes fun of the dual quarterback system. They say if you have two quarterbacks, it means you don't have one. Well, Georgia Southern turned that uh, mantra on its head for two seasons, not just one, but two years in a row. They just had a one-two punch, and these are guys who were roommates. They were friends. They just were so symbiotic. Like, the, the offense, it, it could just take one or the other without missing a step. Everything was great. And I'm not saying that uh, Tomlin and Wirtz don't get along. I'm just saying that it isn't the same exact situation. And I get where fans are coming from. Tomlin did show a lot of promise. Uh, he shows a lot of athleticism, and I totally get what people are saying when they say that what they saw from Justin Tomlin was enough athleticism to where you can't keep him off the field. So, yeah, uh, I, I get where the concern is. I get where the uh, the possibilities are coming from for a dual quarterback system or, you know, if, if things don't go well, let Tomlin go in there and see if he can shake things up. I would say that this current offense, as it stands, as it's built right now, probably isn't as conducive to a two-quarterback system because Shy and Tomlin are a little bit more different than Kevin and Upshaw were. Uh, so I don't know where they go from this. I, I, I see what people are saying. When there's athleticism and the team's struggling, you don't want to see the athlete on the bench not getting the ball in his hands. But I, I think that that's uh, more for uh, – the film room that's more for the homework for the coaches over the next couple of months, maybe going into spring practice and not to say that they can't shake things up and come up with somewhere or some way that both those quarterbacks can get some time on the field. But right now I think that Chai's proven himself. Uh, he started out as a freshman thrown into the fire, overcame one of the worst seasons in Georgia Southern history was the main or one of the main uh, facets for how they turned it around and got the program back on track. And even though this season didn't go or end how they wanted it to, I think that if you pull the guys in the locker room, Shy Wirtz is the heart and soul of this team. He might not be the absolute best, the strongest, the fastest, but there's not a guy I don't think that if you pulled the Georgia Southern team doesn't want number one to have the ball in his hands with the chance to make a play when they really need it. Yeah, and, I, and for those fans that think that about Wirtz, I think the same thing. Um, and, you know, I just think that the negatives, I don't know what would happen if Tomlin came in, but the negatives uh, 
potentially of that are would be devastating um and would be i would think catastrophic for for jobs uh moving forward um you know and for the program in general moving forward if something were to happen like tomlin you know takes over for work somehow early in the year next year and then you know he gets hurt and and Wirtz isn't happy because he's been there for four years now and gets taken you know there's just too many things that could happen when I don't when I think if you're going down the checklist of things wrong with the Georgia Southern offense it takes me a while at least to get to shy Wirtz on that list uh, is that we get with that Mike yeah I, I think you could tie that back into what I said uh you know you can point out any single person based on what you see from one play but I think the offense as a whole just needs to get back to being more confident in itself, more aggressive. And when they start doing that, you're going to see less of individual players who you think could be or should be doing more or should be ushered off the field to give someone else a chance. I think that if the offense as a whole just gets back to its mentality of we are going to take this ball and going to run it 60, 70 yards down the field, when they start doing that, I think that you're going to start seeing a whole lot uh, fewer individual players that you're taking exception to. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, look, I agree on like 99% of that. So I think we're good to move forward on that front. Um, Mike, let's get to the season recap for us. Here's how we'll do it. We'll do it somewhat chronologically, but we'll also do it more so. Uh, and this says more about Georgia Southern season, I think, than anything else. Um I think we should do it chronologically, but more so about events uh, that happened. And uh, when we were discussing how we should go about this, I think that's, you know, kind of the way we both agreed on it. In the preseason, we kind of took it in chunks of four games, uh, three or four game chunks down the schedule. So we'll, we'll, we'll start by doing that and talk about the preseason and kind of some what ifs, Mike. Um, plenty of preseason drama for Georgia Southern. Uh, just some things that I'm thinking of uh, over the summer and, you know, Georgia Southern, let's not forget, you know, one of the changes I think that kind of is overlooked, Mike, is the start of spring camp and how pushed for and how advanced it was, right? Uh, they were playing their spring game, Georgia Southern was, on March 10th, if you remember that True Blue Saturday or whatever when there was like four athletic events um, in what, like 10 hours uh, and states were also, uh, I think, you know, that has to be addressed or at least reconsidered for this year. Um, Mike, when, when Georgia Southern was, uh, wrapping up 2018, uh, and I think they had their senior gala, we got news of, um, a couple of days later of Ivan Corbin, the former quarterback for Georgia Southern, Logan Wright and JD King, their arrests, um, their arrests ended up being, I think very, very insignificant um, in terms of, uh, you know, the egregiousness of, you know, what happened that night. I, I think it, it was a non-issue uh, for the season. But, Mike, it, you know, at the time, God, we could not have imagined how little that would have mattered. Ivan Corbin, Logan Wright, and J.D. King, um, you know, basically getting fines uh, of little significance uh when you look at the spring mike and the preseason before you ever even get to Wirtz, quan griffin brian miller all these guys uh kind of dropping 
you have that that early spring do you think can we attribute anything to that at all or or is you know is that something that Georgia Southern should at least consider you know opting out of moving forward having that spring camp that early you know personally I think that that's too far out to really contribute to what's going to happen to the next season as it pertains to the regular season uh, obviously it was a big change for Georgia Southern they're used to uh, holding their spring game in the middle of April instead of the beginning of March. Um, I don't know if they're going to keep it that way. I think that they will. Uh, but I, I would also say that now you've got to consider the uh, the ways that recruiting's changed. And a lot of times uh, it had been everybody gets in in February and most of those guys that you're recruiting don't get actually to campus until August. Now you look at Georgia Southern and not only did they recruit what was it, 18, 19 guys that they signed uh, a couple weeks ago? Not only yeah, that, nine, but half 19. of them, yeah, but half of them are going to be early enrollees as well. So now you get to transition them really quickly into the all-season weight program, get them onto the field quickly. So, you know, maybe maybe it's good, maybe it's bad, but it's a whole new ball game. And I think that uh, Georgia Southern's kind of playing it by ear. But I, I would have to think uh, if it's not going to definitely be a benefit, I would think that they should at least try it out once again going early in the spring, especially with so many uh, new freshmen, early enrollees coming in with a couple of spots that they might be able to uh, to get a foothold in on the depth chart moving into next season. Uh, I think the faster you get them in to game speed, the faster you get them on the field, hitting guys who are now 20, 21, 22-year-old guys instead of the high schoolers they've been going up against, I think the better. So maybe maybe that pans out badly. Maybe it ends up being a good thing. I, I really just can't say. I know it was different last year, but I think it's too early to say whether it was definitely a good or a bad thing to change up the spring. All right, and and here's how I would respond to that, Mike, is that I understand that thinking of getting the younger guys going um, and the value of that. Going into 2020, though, isn't it safe to say uh, I think Georgia Southern fans – um, and I, I would think it's safe to say the upperclassmen on Georgia Southern's team, uh, Georgia Southern can't afford in 2020 to be focused on 2022 or to be focused on developing the program, not with all these veterans coming back. Um, I would think and I would hope that every single decision made by Georgia Southern, even down to the scheduling of you know spring camp and the spring game, I would hope that it's all centered around what is what is going to help Georgia Southern win at Boise State, and what's going to help them win the game the game after that. I mean, we, right? I mean, we can't. I understand the program ascension is is the larger goal here, and I think that's the right play. But we like twenty twenty is really really important now, and especially uh, with everything that's gone on with the offense and kind of you know, the displeasure with the offense. So I hope that that's the case moving forward. Uh, Mike, do you want to, do you want to kind of touch on anything from that preseason stuff from Wirtz, Brian Miller, uh, Quan Griffin, JD King, Logan Wright, um, any of those kind of things. I, I do remember, I thought it was interesting. Brian Miller's injury happened right around the same time. Um, you know, roughly, that J.D. King's news of eligibility came out. And so that kind of got washed away a little bit. And plus, at the time, we thought Georgia Southern was at least somewhat somewhat deep 
on the offensive line, you know, at least seven guys deep, I, I thought at least. Um, and then, you know, we know what happened once the season started and how they started dropping like flies, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, anything stand out for you, Mike, from the preseason that you wanted to hit on? Yeah, I think that when you recap the season, of course, uh, injuries, the depletion of the two deep is going to be something that you talk about. Uh, you know, Georgia Southern at times fought well through it. At times they were hampered by it. But, yeah, those those ones that uh, occurred right before the season started, I really think you know, it hit the hardest, whether you want to focus on them or not. You know, when you've got a guy who worked his way onto the line as a freshman last season and Brian Miller – and was not only going to be a piece, he was going to be a stalwart of that line. And then, what, a week and a half, two weeks before the season starts, he's out for the year. That really hurts. And then in the same vein, you know, even though J.D. King was eligible the entire year, you know, you and I both know from constantly uh, blowing up people's phones and asking that no one really knew what his status was until, what, about two weeks before the season? So, even though J.D. King was good to go, he really wasn't able to be uh, entrenched in that two deep until a week or two before the first game of the year, which meant that they had to give up his carries, his experience with the ones and twos to other guys, which meant that even once he was uh, cleared to play and people thought that he was the first or second best option, it still took him a little bit to uh, get those reps in to really – understand the offense and I think it took him about half the season to really get comfortable so you can play the what if game you know what if Brian Miller doesn't get hurt what if JD King was cleared in the spring like a bunch of P5 guys and had six months to really get into it instead of being uh you know on the uh, fringes getting work where he could up until a week before the uh, season started when now you can really start to uh to gas him up and get him right into uh what you're trying to accomplish so Again, just a, a uh, bunch know, of what ifs, uh, what could have been. Also, Mike, but, you know, I wonder, you never know if J.D. King is not made eligible. You know, you wonder what kind of season, you know, obviously every little thing could change the results of everything. But you wonder what kind of season Logan Wright would have had, what kind of season Matt LaRoche would have had, what kind of season Wesley Kennedy would have had. Uh, worse, better, we don't know. I mean. And what if Wesley Kennedy isn't out for the first four games? What if McGill Ballardy isn't out for the first four games? Yep. Well, I guess things probably would have gone pretty similar. Uh, kudos to Anthony Beck, though. I, I do want to give that guy credit. What a season he had, huh, Mike? I mean, for a guy that had to punt as often as Anthony Beck did, um, I, I thought, you know, it's fair to, I would think, at least put him in the category of guy that improved – possibly the most from week one you know to week 14 um Anthony Beck did a really good job and I don't think that you can argue that he's got at least one of the top three passes of the year one of the top three I mean it was wretched for sure but it was great yeah I think I I can't put it at number I can't put it at number one because of some of the overtime uh tosses to Mashad but oh yeah those were pretty important those were they were more important yeah All right, Georgia Southern fans, we have a new offer for you guys at savannahnow.com. We want you guys to check it out. It's a newsletter focused on Georgia Southern athletics and Georgia Southern athletics only. This is a free opportunity for you guys to get caught up on all the latest news on the Eagles, whether it be on the football field, basketball court, baseball field, 
or what have you, but go join the mailing list for the newsletter. And this is how you do it. Go to savannahnow.com and look on the right side of the homepage, click get our newsletters and go from there. The newsletter will have a blog post once a week, as well as other relevant Georgia Southern stories, opportunities to subscribe to the podcast and other insider notes that you can't find anywhere else. Subscribe today. All right, let's uh, let's let that be a professional segue, Mike. Um, let's do some of these categories quickly before uh, we'll just rapidly go through um, best. I guess let's let's start with this one. Best moment of the season for Georgia Southern. After best moment, we'll do biggest moment. So best moment um, for you, Mike, of the season for Georgia Southern. Obviously, you know you can touch on the App State game, but even more specific than that you know, a play, a press conference, um, a press release, you know, best moment for Georgia Southern this season. Uh, what are, what's your, I guess, nominee and maybe some of your close seconds? Yeah. The, the easy one is to say going up there on that mountain, winning at Boone, uh, the only team apparently that could beat Appalachian state this year, that'd be the easy call. But I really think that, uh, in terms of what this team preached for the last 12, 18 months of what they want to become as a program. I, I really think that the best moment was the one complete game that they really just did everything right the entire, uh, the entire game. That was the Georgia State game. You know, they hadn't won against Georgia State in Paulson. Uh, they were behind in the, uh, overall series against the Panthers. And yeah, they were already bowl eligible. And, you know, all that, but there, there was so a little bit of pride at stake. And that was the one game where it just felt to me, it wasn't the absolute best game Georgia Southern played, but it was the one where everybody kind of seemed to roll with the moment and respond to the moment and not let Georgia State do anything. That was the one game where every time Georgia Southern needed to make a play, they made one and they made a big one. So, you know, to me, that would be my biggest moment. If they could somehow capture that and put it into every game, they would be doing really, really well next season. Yeah, yeah. That I mean, I think when you look at the App State game, even within that game, there are so many moments. Uh, you know, I think uh, Wirtz's run in the second half of that game was ginormous, obviously, um, and he had that that excellent uh, goal line little leap he does. I love that thing, uh, Mike. I'm gonna go best moment for. Uh, Georgia Southern was the missed field goal for South Alabama. Uh, and I think just strictly because I, I think if Georgia Southern loses that game, uh, things could have gone, you know, really different. I think, yeah, I think that's easy to say. But, you know, also it kind of, for the first time in like three or four months at that time, man, it felt like God, something went their way, right? Something that was you know, out of the, out of the norm went for Georgia Southern instead of against, against Georgia Southern. Uh, and to me, at least that was a sign that maybe the football gods didn't absolutely hate the 2019 Georgia Southern football team. Um, and it was a gutsy win. They played awful. Georgia Southern did at South Alabama and they found a way to win. That to me was, uh, probably what I would say was, was the best moment of the year for Georgia Southern. Biggest moment, Mike, you got one off the top or you want me to start? Uh, biggest moment, I'll go with right after that South Alabama game. You know, they escaped with their lives in overtime there, and then they found themselves 
in the exact same position uh, against Coastal Carolina. Uh, you know, you're in overtime. You're you're a running team. You're backed up to fourth and forever where you have to pass. And instead of going for the first down, they just went for it all. And Mark Michaud, who has been, you know, a, a mainstay in the offense for the last three seasons, he's been a little bit maligned. He's dropped some passes. He hasn't been targeted much. But it was shy words looking to him on a very contested play in a tight spot, and he brought it down. And same as that missed field goal or blocked field goal at uh, South Alabama, if that doesn't happen, it's a totally different uh, season for Georgia Southern. If Mark Michaud doesn't pull down that fourth and five for a touchdown or maybe even the, the one on the ensuing drive, I guess you could bundle those two together. That, to me, was the biggest moment. That was what turned Georgia Southern from being reeling to still being injured, still having issues, but knowing that it was a team that could win games and find a way to piece it together. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to – look, it's hard to argue with that Coastal Carolina game. Uh, Mike, was before we get too far in, was, was the Coastal Carolina game the game where Georgia Southern's first play on offense, they're backed up like on their own three in the pouring rain, and they go play action deep down the sideline? Was that Coastal Carolina? Do you remember what I'm talking about? Uh, you know, you always give me credit for having a memory, but I couldn't tell you off the bat, right? Mikey memory, you, you disappoint me. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, I thought that was awesome from the best two. Maybe the cheekiest moment of the season after after a week of a lot of conversation on uh, DD, the, the best dive. Uh, I think that was funny to see that, at least uh, at least that shot. Um, biggest moment for me, Mike, I, I, I don't, I'm starting to realize that a lot of my things are negative, so I'm, I'm going to change my course here. Uh, I had written down for biggest moment the Monquavian Brinson pick six against Minnesota that ended up um, counting the touchdown did or not pick six. I'm sorry. The return, the block field goal return uh, that it, yeah, they ended up counting, but then the two point conversion had to come um, from much further back because of a sideline penalty for Georgia Southern. That, that was, you know, absurd. The, the randomness of that. That doesn't happen if you're a P5 team celebrating. That. You don't think so? With P five officials there now. Oh, on, okay. I see what you're you saying. Know, I thought I thought you, you know meant like score, you know what the score is. I thought you meant that like the staffers on the P five level wouldn't get in the way of a. And I was like, well, I don't think he was like. No, no, no. When a G five team's doing that to a P five team, that's a penalty. When a P five team does that to anybody with P five officials, that's not a penalty. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, biggest moment positive for me Mike I'm gonna uh, I'll go with an easy one here New Mexico State um, and that really just emotional week for Georgia Southern um, I think outside of Georgia State and again we can you know all understand how poor New Mexico State was you know big picture but Georgia Southern got down in that game right then they Georgia Southern gets down in that game against New Mexico State, and then just rattles off like 40 in a row, it felt like. And really, that game to me was, you know, it showed kind of what you were talking about earlier. It showed kind of their toughness off the field um, and, you know, and their ability to, you know, Chad Lunsford talks all the time about how they want to drown out the noise, Mike. That week, at least, I thought they did a really excellent job of, you know, I don't want to call it noise, but, it, you know, they're 
outside influences, uh, you know, owning, owning it, uh, dealing with it, letting it be what it is, you know, letting guys that are upset be upset and letting guys that are, you know, handle it differently, let them handle it their own way. I thought that was pretty telling. And that was certainly one of the most, um, that press conference was something else. Wasn't it like that post game? It really was. Um, you know, it, it was tough. It was something different. Um, can't say I want to do one of those again, but it was definitely, uh, something unique, something I'll remember. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I'll remember that one forever too, Mike. And, you know, I don't want to touch on it too long, but, uh, just off the top here, I'm thinking about, you know, how we have that walk right from the press box over to the Smith building for interviews. And it's not a long walk, you know, not a lengthy walk, but usually we kind of all on, all of us on the beat kind of gather what we're thinking about what we just saw and, and, you know, kind of what our thinking is of what's going to be talked about in the post game. Right. And then, you know, I at least walk into that New Mexico state post game presser, not expecting that at all. I, I just, I was so enamored with what Georgia Southern had done on the field that I hadn't even thought, you know, honestly about, you know, the relief it must've been after that game to have gotten that one for Wiggins, for Jordan Wiggins. Um, and so, yeah, you're right. That's something that I think I'll remember forever, at least. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, it was a totally unique experience. Usually when we're making that walk, we're thinking about what we want to ask, how the game went, what we think the players are thinking, what we think the coaches are thinking. And then all those questions just kind of got dumped into the trash can because uh, – you know, Coach Lunsford, he always made an opening statement before anyone asked a question, and he kind of, I don't want to say railroaded it, uh, you know, because he obviously had stuff on his mind that was more important than the, the scoreboard, but that's what he did. He took control of it. He spoke to kind of all the back questions that we had, aside from who did what on the field. Everybody knew what the real story was that week, and he just was out there and open with it, and you know, that's kind of the mentality they took the entire season after, you know, such a, a, a tough thing to go through. And, you know, it's something that it, it's going to carry through even to next year and the years beyond. You would have to think four and five years out, even the guys that got recruited with them, anyone who spent, you know, a long day in the weight room or on the practice field might have been affected by Jordan Wiggins. And it, it's something that's not going to leave anytime soon, even though, uh, uh, the actual event happened and everybody got through it and everybody, you know, was sorry about it. And there's decals on helmets and all that. It's not something that you can get through with one week or one season or one show of emotion. It's going to stick with this program for a long time. And I think that, uh, uh, Lunsford was right to continue to keep that at the forefront throughout the season. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's another thing that could be a talking point all its own, Mike, is that, uh, Georgia Southern remarkably consistent, uh, at least in their rhetoric and their stated goals. Um, they never, ever wavered at all, sometimes to the point, you know, where it, it, it caused frustration for me, at least, uh, you know, where you're just, you're trying to wonder why Georgia Southern can't do this, this or this, X's and O's wise. And then, you know, you're, you hear it's, you know, there's things going on that we don't know about and and uh, how this team and, and this coach plays for an audience of one. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on alongside 
the X's and O's, and more so this season, I think, than any other season um, in years past. It's incredible to me, Mike, the differences between 2018 and 2019. And I mean the differences in terms of things that are completely beyond any control of any human being, um, even down to the weather. I mean, you, you start at the top priority-wise with, with things like Jordan Wiggins, um, and then I guess below that would be Wirtz, Griffin, uh, and then you know maybe Kennedy, Miller, uh, things like that. When you start working down the list, um, there were so many things this year that happened in 2019 that just were non-existent in 2018. And so hopefully in 2020, there's some sort of norm, uh, you know, some sort of consistency on the field in the same way that there was this year. Um, off the field. Mike, I don't know if you're going to have one for this one. I got best quote written down, so I'll go first, maybe give you a second to think. I don't know if you can think of any quotes, you know, maybe not direct quotes, but just things that guys said that maybe you couldn't write or couldn't get in that you thought were great. I'm going to go to J.D. King after New Mexico State. Um, You know, we talk about this a lot, Mike. Every dude has his own personality, kind of on this team, J.D. King's personality is he's going to be J.D. King, uh, whether the recorder's on or not. Um, here's J.D. King's quote when I asked him after they beat New Mexico State, um, you know, if he was ready for the next four or five days, um, hate week part one with App State, being that it was his first, uh, you know, introduction to it. And he said this, quote, when you're being recruited, you get to know the rivalries and things like that. But I'm excited to be involved in it now, he said with a smile. So, and then he goes on to say this, Mike, quote, I hate App State because my teammates hate them. They have hated them. I'm ready now. Let's go. And then he went on to say after that, that he thought they were going to go to Boone and kick their ass. That was his direct quote. Um, and more or less Georgia Southern did that. Georgia Southern went to App State and pretty much kicked their ass. Again, uh, for two years in a row, those App State wins obviously cannot be uh, stressed enough how important those are. And, you know, amidst all the bad things that happened, Mike, Chad Lunsford, Bob the Best, Scott Sloan have never lost a game to Georgia Southern's two biggest rivals. So that has to be said. You know what I mean? That matters. Um, you got any funny quotes or moments, Mike, that that you wanted to share with the folks? Yeah, um, it's not going to be funny. In fact, it's going to, you know, maybe bring it a little bit heavier back Damn. down to where we just were a few minutes ago. But the one thing that really stood out to me is, you know, you, you mentioned how the two seasons couldn't have been more different. Uh, 2018, nobody had any expectations of Georgia Southern. They rattle off 10 wins, a bowl win. You know, they're darlings. Everything is working perfectly. There's no big injuries. There's no big controversies. Everything's coming up roses. Then this year, you know, from the get-go, there's controversy. There's arrests. Then there comes injuries. Then there come losses. Uh, fans, you know, griping about how the, the game's managed. But right in the middle of that, right during fall camp, uh, before the season started, the the quote that stuck out to me was after Shy was cleared of, you know, the entire fiasco in South Carolina with his arrest, was Lunsford talking about 
how he handled it, not just the situation or with Shy, but with the entire team, which was when he basically told the team what was going on. And you and I both know hanging out with college coaches or, you know, looking at college coaches, being in their press conferences, hearing uh, uh, teleconferences where they're so guarded, everything is so battened down, you can't get any information out of anybody. Everything's like an edict from a dictator. And Lunsford basically said that, you know, he told the guys what was going on, and he's not putting a, a social media uh, a silencer on it. He said to the guys, you know, hey, this is what's happening. We don't need all the information out there. Obviously, there's some things that the university and the team couldn't speak about, given what was going on. But he didn't tell people to defend Shy. He didn't tell people to shy away from it. He just told the guys, hey, look, you know what this is. You know what this is about. Conduct yourselves properly. And, I mean, I'm on social media as much as you are. I can't recall too many controversial things coming out of that team. And to me, that shows that everybody's kind of on the same page. They defended their teammate as much as they could. They they didn't get into fights or anything. They weren't just spreading good or bad information that was unfounded. And, And to me, that shows a team that's on the same page. It shares information with each other that has each other's back and that, you know, would call out someone if they had to be called out, but for someone who needed help, they were there for them. They weren't gloating when uh, uh, the charges were dropped. They were just back to business. It was everybody's in this is one. We're going to support everybody. And when it's all over, we're going to get back to business. And to me, that was a quote from uh, Lunsford that stuck out because that's kind of how the team and the coaches have conducted themselves for the last couple of years. All right, Mike, let's begin to wrap up right now. Um, Producer Zach, if you're listening to this, we're close, I promise. Um, Is he tapping his watch? He's probably tapping his watch. So he's not here right now, but uh, future Producer Zach, when he is uh, editing this. Sorry, my man. Um, Mike, biggest surprise, player-wise, or, you know, I guess you could say unsung hero, uh, anything like that, wild card category here. Biggest surprise, I think, or, you know, guy that improved, I think, from one year to the next. I I don't know how surprising it was for people that are around the program, but Rashad Bird uh, played like a man possessed this year. Um, And we've talked, you know, at in, or, you know, we've talked a lot about the linebacker unit coming back next year for Georgia Southern. I'm, I'm ecstatic to see those guys play again, Rashad Bird. Um, Randy Wade is, is uh, you know, an absolute problem at that second level for Georgia Southern. He's a, a great player. Um, I'm going to miss seeing number five running around, Jay Bowdry. Uh, I like watching that guy play. Uh, but the biggest surprise, you know, outside of Bird, because I don't know how big of a surprise that was, I thought Donald Rutledge was excellent for Georgia Southern um, and kind of gathered that role. The, you know, when he decided and when that news came out in January uh, of last year that he was going to be coming to Georgia Southern, uh, we didn't know how involved he would be. Uh, and Scott Sloan's defense, the safeties matter a lot. I thought Donald Rutledge, Mike, was, um, you know, a steady presence back there. And I thought his importance to the defense and to the team as a whole was even more um proven for lack of a better word at, at the Liberty Bowl um as good as 
I think the Georgia Southern coaches and as good as I think Javon Singletary is going to be the true freshman safety. Um, you know, he, there were moments where he was maybe a little outmatched uh, at Lib- or versus Liberty. Um, and I think Rutledge being there might have made at least a little bit of a difference in terms of how the game went. I don't know. The ultimate result changes. Uh, long-winded way, Mike, of saying I thought Donald Rutledge had a great season. Uh, who, any guys you want to shout out for having a good season that maybe didn't get a lot of play on the podcast? Yeah, I give uh, I give Rutledge a lot of credit. He was a plug-and-play guy that you know was at a position where they needed somebody with experience that they could count on to come in and do a job, and he did just that. I would uh, go right next door to him and uh, give that honor to Kendrick Duncan, who I know we've talked about a little bit, but you know he was a guy that came on last year, kind of forced into early duty due to injury, due to uh, some guys getting thrown out of games for questionable hits and all that. Yeah, Louisiana Monroe last year, 2018. Yeah, I mean he that was trial by fire. And then you know he he enters this season as a starter not only being dependent on to do a starter's role, but also knowing that the guy beside him in Rutledge and the two guys in front of him in Vildor and Brinson, they're all going to be gone next year. So he's kind of, you know, getting his feet wet as the guy who's going to have to captain that secondary. And I think that he did a great job of proving himself as a leader. He's going to enter next season as a guy who that defensive secondary is going to have to uh, defend on. He's going from 18 months ago being a guy uh, – stuck into a Clemson game way over his head and just trying to tread water to now being the captain of that secondary. So I think uh, you got to give him a lot of credit. And then one other guy who I really want to point out is Najee Thompson, who, you know, when you talk about, you know, getting to the pros, everybody's got to earn their stripes in the pros. And a lot of times you have to do that on special teams and it could take years to do that, to stick with the team to maybe work your way up to a better role and in college, all that is really compacted. You've got maybe a half a season or one season to, right. to do that. And with the transfer portal, it's getting a lot easier for guys to say, no, I'm just going to stay healthy, get strong, get fast, and somebody else will plug me into a starting spot that I want somewhere else uh, next season. Thompson didn't do that. You know, he ran into a little bit of a, uh, a log jam in terms of skill position players on offense, but he became, I think, hands down the absolute most invaluable person on special teams, especially the punk coverage unit for Georgia Southern this season. And if nothing else, he's going to be the most feared special teams guy in the league next year and probably has earned himself a, a lot more looks and skill position uh, uh, situations where they're going to get the ball in his hands and see what he can do. Yeah, no doubt. Najee Thompson, uh, he may well be the most dominant individual player every nightmare of every punt returner in the conference right now his season numbers Mike he had 10 tackles he's appearing on how many plays per game defensively you think uh however many punts there are I mean he wasn't getting yeah if he's not tackling the guy he's the one that's forcing the fair catch he's the one that's forcing the guy to run out of bounds instead of taking a hit he's just always beating his man yeah, and then, well, then you had the one forced fumble, two fumble recoveries. Could have had two more fumble recoveries. I mean, uh, Najee Thompson, if you want to, you know, use the term Georgia Southern man, uh, that guy has been everything Georgia Southern could have asked for. Um, I hate, 
I hate the New England Patriots with every fiber of my being, but he is the Matthew Slater of college football right now. Yeah, fins up, by the way. Fins up. Yeah, yeah. Dolphins doing the Lord's work for you guys. Uh, so I got to wear my jersey yesterday. Um, all right, well, yeah, let's wrap it up uh, now, Mike, um, for the season. I wanted to thank all of you guys sort of for listening and following along this season. It's been obviously a trying season um, for Georgia Southern, for you guys to, uh, I, you know, it's clear how much you guys care about this program and this team. And I think, um, you know, I, I guess I'm not really in a position to give advice, but I would, I would just say this, um, you know, a team and a program that has this much passion around it, and I'm saying passion, not support, passion around it, that matters. Um, so while people may not like some fans being negative, um, and some fans that love to be negative might not like um, the fans that see things with, you know, rose-colored lenses. Um, all I think that truly matters is the level of commitment from the fans and the level of caring from the fans. And at Georgia Southern, there is no shortage of that. And so as long as that's there, everything else should take care of itself, right? I mean, no one... Um, is going to really blink twice or make changes to a program where no one cares about it. Um, if you need evidence of that, you can go to UMass and see how quickly that thing is falling apart. Um, so I would just say that. And I would say that 2019, we knew kind of what Georgia Southern was in for um, on the field. We had no clue what they would be in for off the field. All things considered, I think we'll look at this season as what it may end up being that bridge year between a magical 2018 um, and hopefully for Georgia's Southern sake, um, you know, a historical 2020, if they were to win a conference title, which I would think is, you know, the end end goal for the 2020 team. If they were to do that, that would certainly qualify as historical. So thank you guys seriously for listening. Thank you guys for supporting and thank you guys for, you know, providing feedback and, um, you know, caring about this podcast in the same way that you do about the Georgia Southern Eagles. Um, here's what we'll do. We'll let Mike kind of wrap up, um, uh, with his thoughts. And then, uh, we will take off for a few weeks and then be back in late January to start catching you guys up on February signing day and what's going on with Georgia Southern on the basketball court. And before long, we'll be into, uh, to baseball season. Hopefully Georgia Southern baseball gets another shot at coastal. Um, after last season, Mike say nice things to the fans. Uh, yeah, I'll say mostly nice things, uh, to, to build on what you were saying. You know, I, I can't tell fans what to think of this season. There's plenty of positives, plenty of negatives, but to build on what you were saying, it, if you're a Georgia Southern fan and you want this program to grow, it comes down to exactly that growing, whether that's monetarily, whether that's uh, the overall breadth of the fan support. So if you're up on the program after this uh, season, if you're trying to be understanding of the shortcomings, that's great. You know, talk it up to everybody, get more people involved. Everybody knows that more people, more money is what's going to help the program to grow. If you're down on it, that's fine too. I can't tell you not to be, I'm not the expert on it. 
I, I can't tell you not to be uh, uh, mad or have uh, concerns about where the program's going. But, you know, if you are concerned, then, you know, talk to people about it. Talk to the administration. Talk to other people. Get Rile up the interest. That's what gets everything going. Not everything has to be positive, but the thing that makes most programs relevant is that it's on the minds of people 24-7. And I think that Georgia Southern's already there, but it just needs to be there for more people. So, yeah, you know, as a fan of Georgia Southern, as an alumni of Georgia Southern, I would rather not be people being negative all the time. But given the uh, option of no one talking about Georgia Southern football from December through August or people talking about it and having some adverse opinions of it, I'll take the latter, you know, at least that gets the conversation going. At least that gets people interested in it. That's what it's going to take for this program to uh, continue to be relevant, continue to take strides forward. FBS was a big step. They've had some success. They've had some failure. The only way to go is up. That's what they signed up for. So if you're a fan, if you're a fair weather fan, if you're anything, that's what you got to do. Just keep on talking about Georgia Southern, keep on reading about Georgia Southern, and by all means, keep on listening to this podcast where we talk about Georgia Southern and rate it five stars. That's a great segue. Wow, that's awesome, Mike. Way to put that one on a tee for me. Um, yeah, definitely five stars, my guys. Uh, and I wanted to just hit on this one thing quickly. If you haven't yet, I, I would strongly encourage you guys uh, to check out savannahnow.com for what we have going on. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of things in sports and non-sports that that would interest you guys and and it's only you know it's one dollar to try it out and if you don't find it useful if you don't think that you know you're learning things and that you're you know finding out things that you didn't know before um you know then cancel the subscription but i'm confident uh that you will see that those things are true um Mike, do you want to let everyone know how they can keep up with you uh, until we meet again? Yep, you can read me in the Statesboro Herald. Uh, you can go online and read me at statesboroherald.com. We've got uh, web videos and uh, online content that comes out all throughout the week. And on game days, you can catch me on Twitter at, at HeraldGSSports. Awesome. And for us, again, savannahnow.com slash sports for all the Georgia Southern coverage. You can find me on Twitter at Sports. SMN. You can email tjadon at savannahnow.com. Um, and then, yeah, rate, subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, SoundCloud, whatever you listen to your podcast on. Uh, lots of other Savannah Now podcasts available too, from everything from uh, people that like movies to people that like politics to people that like arts and entertainment. So lot, lots of good stuff on there. Thank you guys for listening. And we'll see you guys in January where we will be talking Georgia Southern, uh, as always, and hopefully, um, you know, talking about a successful season on the basketball court for the Georgia Southern Eagles. All right, until January, thank you guys. Oh, yeah. Adrian Peterson is taking care of things right now. The Wesley Fields. Touchdown, Georgia Southern. Ass swings on the way.